welcome to They Just Get It. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. And a warm They Just Get It welcome to Mr. Zachary Elias Many Wounds. How are you doing, Zachary? I'm good. How are you? I am fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, Zachary and I had the privilege and opportunity. I had the opportunity to meet him about uh, a couple months ago in one of my executive groups. Our chair was kind enough to bring Zachary in to speak to us and educate and to give us an opportunity to learn. As business people in Calgary, we have so many opportunities to expand and everyone who knows who listens, this is a, this is a podcast about, about curiosity, but also really thinking about economic transformation from a broad perspective and a broad brush of, we need everybody off the benches. We need everybody on the field, whatever analogy, sports analogy you want to use to drive our economy forward. And we, when we look at this Calgary and surrounding area, whether it's not understanding the opportunities that exist even in rural Alberta to what exists closely to the west of us, to a nation that sits there tall and proud and provides an opportunity for us to grow and, I think, look at where, as business people, we can be more inclusive on all fronts. So, Zachary, with that, I'm going to turn it over to you. You are a proud member of the Tutsina Nation. Uh, it's something that I don't know a lot about. I'm, I'm, I'm new to Calgary 20 years ago, so I don't think that qualifies as new anymore. But no, I did not grow up here. So I didn't grow up with any type of beliefs or understandings, which probably is a, is a benefit to me, which you and I can maybe talk about a little bit today about so much of the stories we tell are outdated and need to be retold. So with that on the table, um, thank you for coming on the show. And I'll give you the microphone here to give us a little bit of an understanding of yourself, your background, and tell us a little bit more about the nation. And then let's dive into the economic opportunities that exist for all of us if we look at the world a little bit differently. Well, thank you for having me, Tyler. Um, my name is Zachary Manywounds. I am a proud member of the Sutina Nation. I was born and raised in Sutina. Uh, literally, I was out of the old uh, general hospital. You, you were not around, Tyler, at that time, but that's where <laughs> I was not. born. And two hours after birth, I was punted out the door. <laughs> so I, I've been born and raised in my home of Sutina my whole life. Um, I love it there. I'm proud. I, I, I can speak very highly of my community and my people and my deep, deep love for each and every individual who is there. Um, but the show is based on economics, and I wanted to share that today with you. I see that our neighbors in Calgary, um, even though we've coincided together for you know almost pretty much 100 years now, it's been a long time, I feel that it's time to open up eyes and bridge the gap between communities that we can start to see the economic benefit of working as neighbors and adversaries versus being... Um, at times enemies and that comes from our side as well I, I feel that there's a false perception on how outsiders look at a reserve and what I mean by that is especially this past year with all of the indigenous awareness that has taken place across this country that it's become a weapon and it's something that I don't you know I don't support I don't I don't support how my kin uses that as a weapon against people who are unaware, as you had just said, you know, at, at learning not only about culture, but about our evolution as, as a society, you know, becoming modernized like the rest of the world. Uh, I feel that too many people in Indian country, as it were, or, or being Aboriginal, try to use that as a scapegoat. They try to pin blame you know it's your fault it's your fault and i mean it's, it's nobody's fault it's it's both of our ancestors fault it's 
your ancestors and mine, it, both of them are equally at fault here by not showing each group um, hu humanity. And I feel like through that, we can start to learn how to work together. And on both sides, I've had the opportunity, um, and I'm very fortunate through my fight career, through uh, my work, the, the company I work with, to have met so many individuals across the globe. And it's given me a chance to see that we are all just people. You know, there, there's no separation between us. And maybe we can change that for future generations. I really appreciate that it creates a lot of space when you say, hey, listen, that was our ancestors. That wasn't neither you nor I. But hey, we know that there was a story there that needs to be addressed. But at the same time, if we use that always as a scapegoat on every side to default to that's how we understand it, or we're still, quote unquote, apologizing for something that happened 100 years ago that probably should be apologized for. But moving forward is much more related to how you and I are able to just using you and I as the, as the example are able to get to get along today. Uh, to give me a little bit of context or give my audience context, what is the population of Tsitsina? How, like, how large is your nation? We have 2,250 people, plus there's a few babies that were born in the last three months. So 2,250 and counting. I, I, I appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> and, and your nation occupies a landmass uh, just to the west. Just to the west, we're basically along the west side, the west side of Calgary to the south side of Calgary. What is just the ge geography on it? And I did some reading online. I know that's that's a bigger conversation six by twelve. Into itself. Yeah. Okay. Six, <laughs> six by, by twelve. Six by twelve. That's exactly what it is. Six miles by twelve miles. <laughs> that's a, okay. And from the perspective of you know the evolution of, and I really appreciate it when you shared your presentation with us, understanding your, your view as someone who's coming up in, as, as becoming, how, how old are you, Zachary, just for context? I am 33 years old. Okay, cool. And the only reason I ask is you're part of a new generation who's coming with maybe a bit of a larger global perspective. It's, it's funny, I grew up, this is very different and I won't even pretend to compare, but I'm just relating. I grew up in rural Quebec and a lot of the individuals that were friends with my dad's age had grown up in that area and they'd never traveled. They'd never, they really knew their own geography. I mean, you, a lot of them had not overly educated, but they were successful. They were large farmers. They did very well in their world, but they didn't really travel. But then all of a sudden, and so Quebec, and especially in rural Quebec, you had a very limited belief or understanding of what was going on necessarily. Because of language, they didn't necessarily travel in the rest of Canada, but all of a sudden their kids were a whole nother thing. They had the internet, they were educated, they went to school in different places, they traveled, they went to the US, and it really shifted You know, growing up in that area. I go back now, it has a very different feeling because the next generation that maybe took over those farms are now, you know, uh, dealing in the cattle markets all over the world. They're dealing in whatever they do, but they're doing it on a global scale. And it's amazing how it shifted. So is that, you know, that's what I'm hearing is this, the same phenomenon that's happening for you inside the nation and your, and your generation of the next group of leaders that are going to be there to make that change. Is that a similar, am I, I'm just I, drawing my own loose conclusion here. Or comparison. I believe you're, you're uh, a, we'll say a generation early on that statement. Okay. Um, for, for myself, like everything you just said, I, I respect, but the truth behind it is that that that's going to come in the next generation. Okay. Um, uh, I believe that a lot of people, my son's age, you know, 14 to about 19 years old have that innovative thought, right? They want to go see the world. My, my son, who is my hopes and dreams, that's what he is to me. He, uh, he just spoke on how at 18 years old, after I'm done high school, I want to go to New York for a year. I want to try entrepreneurship there like my uncles did. My, my brother went to New York for a decade. 
my cousin Lance Many Wounds moved down to um, Phoenix, Arizona, and has been super successful. And he's inspired my son to do the same in entrepreneurship. And I believe that my son will be a part of uh, your statement, you know, in that generation. For myself, though, um, I, I'm a little bit separate than most of my kin. Be as I'm, I'm so bold and in in keeping our traditional warrior aspect alive. So I'm unafraid at most times. But I also use what has always been taught to all of us, which was you know, use your intellect, read, go to school. Um, and all I've ever done is read, 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 and um, that learning has helped me. So I'm able to have the best of both worlds. You know. I'm able to be a warrior, but I'm also to be a collective mind and have that intellect behind me to use uh, selflessness to project, you know, for my people. So my idea for me and what I want to achieve for our community is becoming a collective, but that collective needs to go past our walls. That collective needs to go into Calgary. And I believe that if Calgarians and also, um, know nation members of Sutina can come together we can actually start to see we can actually start to see better success between two communities and mm -hmm. false perceptions on both sides and that that's something I believe that we need to achieve right uh, both of our communities are facing the same crisis right now but neither of us are identifying with each other we're being selfish we're being extremely selfish you know oh well uh, there's there's we're here. I'll give an example of what's going on in our community right now. You know, oh, well, there, there's a homeless problem, but there really isn't a homeless problem. <laughs> and, you know, there's all these poor, you know, people, unfortunate people right now during the holidays in Calgary. I was just downtown over the weekend and, you know, to see all these, these souls just in, in a really tough position, unfortunate position, um, I thought to myself, well, back home, I'm not seeing that. What, what are you guys talking about? We have the resources to help some of these people. Why aren't we helping them? And then on the flip side, it's, you know, uh, you have individuals or companies wanting to work with the Susana Nation, but they're doing it such an old school way. You know, we're, we're going to buy you out, flash pan, flash pan. And I, I feel like that's not a, that's not a benefit to our community, but it's also us not benefiting our community of Calgary as well. Right. It's, how do we break that? How do we, how do we eliminate the stigma between two communities that are not identifying with each other at all? And is that a, is that from your perspective of just understanding history? You know, we look back so we can look forward and hopefully write a write a different narrative. Is that just a historical the way we've done it? Is that a, is that a throwback to essentially you know the Indian Act and some of the things that you know I read about now that I didn't really know a lot about growing up? It wasn't really I wasn't taught. I've gone and pursued a little bit of my own learning. When you see some of those, you know, as your generation coming up, and I know you're involved in business, you're going, well, hey, why are we still doing, why are we still following this old narrative when we can completely, is it just because that's the way it's, like you said, there's a groove that's been set, and when you're, whether you're coming from Calgary as, as, as a business here or from on the nation, this is the way we've always done business, and it's hard to just break out of that pattern, and I don't want to oversimplify it, but man, we sometimes do things just because that's the way it was done last time, not because it's the best way. Well, I also think it has to do with something, uh, on a human level, not not through history, actually. I think it's through a human level. Um, 
as I spoke to the groups, because it was not just your group, I spoke to mm-hmm. two other groups afterwards, uh, one of the things I had to bring up was power and how that word does not exist in indigenous cultures. It just doesn't. Power does not exist across the planet in any indigenous culture. That, that, that word does not exist. And um, the word power was created through fear. And I feel that as, 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 as a society, we look at the world through such a power-based scope, you know. Oh, you have this many followers. You're, you're so, you know, you're, you're so popular and powerful and you have money and you don't. <laughs> and it's the same thing with somebody who, uh, oh, well, they're the mayor, they're the chief, they're, they're this. It's, well, those are titles, but, you know, I'm Zachary Many Wounds. I don't need to bring up my title in anything. I'm just Zachary Many Wounds and I love my people. But I don't need to put fear in anyone's eyes by coming at them with, any sort of accolades I may have, and that shouldn't be how I identify myself. I feel as a collective, we we are so fearful of people in power that it it has created uh, the inability to dare to dream, the inability to want to take the steps that you know. Oh my! Oh my God! If I'm doing this, I'm going to be isolated, and and all of a sudden people are going to alienate me and I'm going to have no friends. So I just have to go with the narrative they're giving me. Okay, um, well, my business doesn't like your, you know, your affiliates. So even though I think you're great and you could benefit something, I'm going to push you out. Now, you just put the context of what I said into me being Aboriginal and, you know, any person in Calgary will just say being a person, it's going to be like, oh, well, He's an Aboriginal drunk, and you're just uh, a normal Calgarian. And when in fact, I'm not a drunk, and you're not just a Calgarian. You're a person who's working hard every day, right? So, I feel like that's something that, as as a whole in society, we have to try to change so we can actually um, create a future that's better for all of us. And what what do you see as barriers? Because you know, t- t- the best way to to accomplish what you just you know, to, to reverse that stereotype is to get to know people. You're like, oh, well, yeah, that's an easy stereotype when it's the nameless, faceless, the nameless, faceless enemy, if you will, and wars were fought by, let's turn this person into a monster and then we can go fight them because otherwise they're just another human and do, do I really want to, to fight that person? Is it just simply these, you know, allusions and kind of fake storylines that were put in place or maybe exaggerated versions of either culture that have kind of been pulled out? Is this just about more integration? And in your in your in your talk with us, you shared some of the illusions of like, well, geez, you know, as as a Calgarian, you're not even allowed to come onto the reservation. It's illegal, and it's you shouldn't trespass. And again, so maybe just talk about some of the things that you, that that we've all well, maybe grown up thinking were true, and maybe are not true at all. <laughs> that's not true. I mean, <laughs> Sutina is open to anyone. Like um, before COVID hit, we had the uh, our annual celebration, which was this big rodeo, golf tournament, baseball tournament. Um, and our traditional powwow, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's a massive celebration that's open to the general public. To the general public, uh, our Christmas celebration is open to the general public. Um, our hockey tournaments, our basketball tournaments, like they're open to the general public. And the the idea is, well, we can't go there because when I went there, this one person who was sitting outside said, oh, you know, get off my land or whatever. And unfortunately that may happen, but it's not true, right? It's like, 
I, I, I can go into Boston Pizza and some guy just doesn't like that I'm bald. And he's like, get out of here, Baldy. And, and, you know, I'm not going to leave. I'm not going to leave because I'm, I'm paying and I want to be there. It's the same thing for most Calgarians. Uh, <laughs> like, Sutin is going to be open to you. And just because I don't know, we got to get a handle something. on this bald, this bald guy problem, Zachary. I'm not sure what you're talking about. I love it. I appreciate the context of how ridiculous you made that sound. Well, well done. Hey, you know, hey, and does that, yeah. does that exist similarly in business when, you know, uh, in the role that you play, do you work with Calgary construction companies and, and do you, is that, is that yeah. also perceived in business as well? We break it out of the social realms and get it into the world of commerce. I feel that your white collar business industry and your blue collar industry have a separation of, uh, and, and literal gaps of evolution. You have a, a primitive macho, strong species of man and women versus uh, evolutionary leap of intellect. Now you'll see more cross cultures and diversity in, in white collar industries. And I mean that like literally there's, there, there is no such thing as color in a white collar world. And mm -hmm. regardless if you're first nations or not, it's always most of the time it's either for the benefit of the dollar or the benefit of the community at large, you know, for the collective. Now the blue collar industry still has a few leaps to go. And I feel it's because it's an appropriation of uh, of the unwillingness to to want to change. You know, it, you have to be strong. There, there's this fun thing on Instagram. It's called "Be a Man." You know, this guy reads out something belligerent, and at the end, he says, "Be a man." <laughs> but unfortunately, in 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 construction, a lot of men, you know, the belligerent comment this guy makes for a joke—that's how they live, and so. For me, I, I have faced, you know, at least three, four times a week, I get a call from a man or a woman, and there's there's no barrier to what they'll say if they don't feel I'm catering to them the way they want. And I'm so fortunate that other gravel pits, you know, Lafarge, um, Burnco, Green Drop, you know, those owners have given me a chance to see how their quarries are ran and um, how their clientele don't even dare to say a thing to them. And when we experience, you know, something similar, like a few trucks waiting, right? We have a few trucks waiting because we're getting scale tickets. The guy is older. So when he goes in and out, it takes a little while. That same experience happens at Lafarge. There's no phone calls. There's no complaints. Oh, if it happens to us, I get a text, an email, uh, three or four phone calls, ripping my character apart. And I'm like, I can't, what am I supposed to do? Tell this big overweight person to hurry up or we'll run him the ticket. You do, you, you do not say this at Lafarge or Burnco. So I feel like in our industry, a blue collar world, you, there's still a, a ways to go, but I don't think it needs to be approached through sensitivity training. Um, the way my dad did it for me, because I had my son so early in life, I had, um, well, I didn't have me and his mother. Um, when I, when I was 19, Marcus was born and I went to work. I had the opportunity to use my athleticism um, for some scholarships and I chose to be a dad versus being selfish. And um, one of the best words of advice I ever got was you're leaving the reserve. And this was, you know, in the early or mid two thousands. <clears throat> and there was still a very strong sense of if you were, an individual like myself that you would be alienated or you'd be labeled as generally a drunk or a drug addict. But instead of 
letting that get me down, I listened to my dad's words. He said, when you go outside this wall, outside of Sutina, because you've, you've gone to school, you've done your thing, but now you're working, remember this, and no matter what, live this every day, you work twice as hard as everyone. And even if you're working just as good, work even harder just to prove that you're, and they'll see you, they'll finally see, and I did, I did that every, and I have been doing that every day for the last, for, for, geez, 15 years, 16 years. And I, I believe that's what helped me have an understanding of what the world is, right? That the world is not easy. And inside of Sutina's walls, it may be a little easier for me. But if I go into the Calgary, no matter what craft I choose, I have to work twice as hard as everyone to earn their respect. And now as a man in my 30s, I see that as um, something that can be inspiring and something that most people should do is not try to be better, but try to work hard er, and learn so it's going to show a younger generation that they can do it. Because in the world, as you would know, Tyler, there's such an exception right now to be a social media mogul, to be, um, to be some sort of viral sensation, and you've made it without understanding that those people who have made it, they've worked super hard, right? Hmm. So, yeah, I, I feel... Leading by example, like leading by example isn't the best way. It's the only way, as I've heard. And uh, you know, what's what's <laughs> you know, speaking of speaking of an influencer? You know, I don't want to I don't want to quote the Rock. Be the hardest working guy in the room. I do appreciate the value of that statement. Aside from you know a, he is <laughs> he has become an influencer. You said something earlier about you know the, in, the the increased awareness around Indigenous issues and around everything in the media the last the last couple of years. And I heard a little bit that you're like, well, you know, maybe this isn't the best flag to fly, that we're flying a victim flag, that we're flying something from the past versus what you just talked about now, which was very different. And it was very like, no, you go out and you work hard and you create value. And that is is, is the identity that you, and that's the, the cut you leave. What are your thoughts from someone, you know, living on the nation and thinking about this huge media blitz that's been happening and a lot of flag waving and a lot of signaling that's happening in our society. I'm not going to say good or bad, but I'm curious of your perspective on it as someone who is the, the subject of that conversation or certainly that media blitz that's been the last 24 months. I feel that it is not beneficial to anyone, um, especially Indigenous people. And I feel like they appropriate that or we appropriate that in ourselves. I can't speak on other First Nations or how they move. I can only ever speak on my own. Um, and that's not because I don't love or care of other First Nations people. It's just, in my view, their story, their history is not mine and it's not my weight to carry. I believe, um, like for myself, what I've begun to do is not only lead by example, but really put in the extra effort as my ancestors did, right? A lot of this, and I don't know if you've heard this, I know maybe some of your listeners have, if they've interacted with Aboriginal people is, you know, we're warriors, you know, we're this and we're, we're protectors. I'm like, okay, although that may be true, that may be your inherent right, you're, you're, you're doing it in a way that is not how our ancestors would do it. There's a reason why the, if you want to call it, people that arrived here on a boat, colonizers, whatever that may be, you know, other people's ancestors, 
Mm-hmm. There's a reason they're here. It's not because we were just conquered. It was because our ancestors believed in the collective. Our ancestors knew that working together was something that would benefit us all. And that's something that I feel is a big miss in all Aboriginal communities, right? Like for myself, I, I honor my ancestors by not doing drugs and alcohol. The worst thing I do is process food, right? And that's me connecting my spirit to them. And a lot of people who preach, you know, well, I'm a warrior and I'm traditional. I'm like, okay, if you're traditional, you're sweating once a week. You're smudging every day. You're not touching substance. You're hunting. You're not living, you know, through a powered home. You're building everything by your hand. That is true traditional. And I know there are some Aboriginal people that live like that. But I'm going to be real. I don't see it often, right? I see a lot of them cushioned and safety netted. And then the easiest route is, you know, instead of taking the hard beaten path that we all have to take as humans, you know, and we do, we all have to take that hard beaten path and we have to go through challenges and obstacles. But for Aboriginals, you know, as soon as it gets really tough, the easiest thing is, well, I'm not taught how to be a warrior. I'm not taught how to be strong. I'm just taught how to bark. I'm not taught how to walk. And when it comes time to walk, I'm going to just, I'm going to run away. And I'm speaking from my own experience. I'm not speaking off of a perceptional view to say, oh, this is what I see. This is from my experience. You know, when I was younger and I didn't fully embrace who I was, what did I do? Oh, I'm going to run away and go drink. I'm going to go cry and drink and pity me, pity me, pity me until I decided that, hey, like, yeah, my life is very difficult, but there's 7.9 billion people on this planet that have bigger challenges and obstacles than I do. Why am I saying my world is over when it's not? And why am I listening to social media or or something where, you know, somebody gets 100 likes and all of a sudden, you know, you have authority over me. No, you don't. You're just you and I'm just me, you know, so I... <laughs> So many universal <laughs> lessons that, that, that supersede all race, color, or, or where we happen to live in, yeah, the, in the world. you know, and being <laughs> real with that. you, Tyler, like, that, that's something I feel is a, is a stigmatism in indigenous communities with this awareness stuff is people feel relevant because they don't give themselves purpose. And when they don't give themselves purpose or they're not taught how to give themselves purpose – they look for glorification and glorification comes with like what I just said, a hundred likes or 10 messages or somebody saying, Oh my God, you're the greatest. And literally they, they get the dopamine fix. It's like going to drink, right? It's like they're drinking all day they're drinking and doing drugs all day by swipe, 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 swipe. Oh my God, a message. Or I'm going to text like 15 people just because I want to feel love. I need a dopamine fix. They're not giving themselves purpose. And if a per- person can give himself purpose, they can re- identify with who they are. The oversensitivity appropriation that is given to Aboriginals right now is making us weaker and forget our purpose. Like 100, 200 years ago, there was hunters, right? There was warriors. There was gatherers. There were people who took care of children. There was people who made the community work and we had less like way less we had nothing there was no such thing as a phone there was no such thing as a warm house and and heat and a car 
you know, you had to take care of your horses, you had to take care of your family, you had to work as a community. And Sutina, when I grew up, was like that, you know, in the 80s and 90s. That's the Sutina I grew up in. And my Sutina right now doesn't exist the way I know it can because I've seen my community give us, especially us as kids, when I was a child, um, when my cousins and my older cousins were children, you know, we we now as Sutina are like an economic stronghold in Indian country. We're very successful. We're a trailblazing community. But with all the resources and everything we have, our children get less. And there's no collectiveness. You know, there, there's no no bright future, as it were. When I was a kid, they had nothing. We were like a third world country community. But we used to have like fairs and, and these big community get-togethers and these big community meetings. And it was phenomenal because everyone had a purpose. And there was actually less drinking back then too, which is crazy to think. You're like, wait a second. And it was because they worked so hard, right? And even as an individual, sorry to continue on, Myself, you see me physic, you see me physically, right? Like I'm not this typical fat Aboriginal man. I'm quite lean. I'm tall. I'm six foot three. I look like what an Indian should look like, or Aboriginal, whatever you want to call that. Um, that's because my dad and his generation, they all looked like this, and I was like, because they worked hard. It wasn't that they're starving. They worked hard. Like they were always all up at five a.m. farming or getting the horses ready or going into town to get on a bus if they had to just to go work for 14 hours a day, you know, and or they'd be working three or four jobs in the community and placing themselves so good. Like my dad, someone I'll speak very highly of because he's one of my heroes, he would, um, he would get up at like five while we would be sleeping, and he was a single dad. Uh, he'd get one of his sisters to come up, check on us. He'd go to the arena. He'd do all his mopping at 5 a.m. He'd come back get us ready. I used to have long hair. He'd get us all ready. We'd go on the loader. We'd be on the loader for an hour. He would take us to daycare. He'd go back to the gravel pit. He'd work all day until noon. At noon, he'd go mop at the arena again, work the rest of the day because he was also um, the team leader at that time. and Or he was the team leader pretty much for 27 years. But he then would, you know, we would get on the bus after school, my sister, me and my brother, we would do our chores, you know, laundry, whatever it may be, dishes, dishes was our big thing. Dad would come home 5.30 or 6, uh, we'd go to basketball, and then we'd go to his game at 8 o'clock, and around 10 at night we'd all get home, and if we weren't already going to sleep, we'd have a quick bath, and we'd do that again. My dad did that every day, and then he'd make time to, you know, take us out to the mountains on drives like we didn't have money so dad would do things that i found really fun like he would show us the uh the topography of the land right he would just take us on random drives throughout calgary throughout alberta we never really bought anything we just go on these big long drives see places go for a and, drive yes so i'm, I'm and, curious you know, like i'm curious i have a question you it's an interesting paradigm that i think bridges like wherever you are or what your background is the sense of like when we get abundance in our lives or where we get the, we don't need to survive anymore. The hierarchy of needs is met. We have a roof over our head. We have security. We have food. Now, all of a sudden we lose the sense of purpose and we look to social media. We look to our likes and our video. You know, I love the paradigm you're talking about, which to me starts to just become a human conversation, not about 
different nations or whether you're Calgary or, or, or where you live in the world, as you see Cena being a very successful nation unto itself, is this a matter of kind of rewriting, like how do you guys as a group, as a, as a leader that you are, not fall into some of the same traps that we fall into every day in our life? And then my, I talk to my friends about their kids who, oh, they've never had it so easy and they live and die by their phones and their video games. Like it's a bigger conversation. But when you've got 2,000, 2,250 people, there's ability to influence where you, everyone is, there is no nameless, faceless in a community of 2,200 people. Somebody knows everybody at one point. How do you create influence as a leader where you are in your life to maybe hopefully set a different path that has more purpose to it? Sorry, that was a big question. <laughs> well, I feel like um, to answer that question is the, the saying there's no school like old school can be impl uh, implemented here because there is no school like old school. But one of the things with that that I find is you have to learn to make things your own way. And in Sutina, um, I'm trying to honor my ancestors by working just as hard. Not only my dad's generation, you know, the generations that followed and predeceded before him, uh, like my hero Bullhead, who to me is Sutina's greatest leader, his strongest, our strongest leader is Chula, is Bullhead, um, our last uh, generational chief. You know, if, if his sons were alive, that bloodline would have kept going. But I feel that. If I can keep doing what I'm doing, which is uh, being <laughs> pretty relentless, Tyler, it, it gets really uh, straining on the body more than anything. Um, but if you can show others that they can dare to dream, work hard, and also just take the steps, you know, oh, hey, it's pretty easy to read that document and learn from it. Oh, in this modern time, you don't have to always go to school. You can use YouTube to learn. <laughs> Literally, you can YouTube anything and learn from YouTube. Um, like I fixed half of my car through YouTube. <laughs> yes, yes. The, 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 <laughs> my, my buddy built his whole garage. I think there's a sign somewhere that says built by YouTube in, in it somewhere on the wall. Said, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, that's how most of us can start to look at evolution, right? Especially in Sutina and changing its, its future for a better path is to show that there are multiple tools that can be used and also that each individual should never be alienated because of how you identify to them. In the presentation, as you remember, I had a, the accepted group and the unaccepted group. Mm -hmm. I have and it up on my screen right now. You have the accepted <laughs> and the overlooked. Divide a false they perception. They overlooked. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. That, that is a, a big thing in Sutina is, you know, for myself, a decade ago, earlier in this conversation, I did say, hey, I ran away and I drank, right? To some individuals, that's how they still identify me. But that's where they stay in their lives. In, in your guys' world, that's called being stuck, right? You didn't, you didn't grow up. In our world, that's, that's, ident that's your identity. And some people live that identity because they're not brave enough to say, no, that's not who I am. I'm this. Because around them, you know, the people around them that are a part of this accepted group are like, nope, you're just a you're just a drunk or you're just a you're just a loser. You know, and no matter how much a person grows, they're they're crabbing the bucket. So for myself, I have to consistently be strong and carry my beliefs and know that what I'm doing is far beyond this lifetime. It's not meant for right now. It's meant for the longevity of my community and 
well beyond my children's lifetime that hopefully the work that I have been putting in and my goal to break the stigma of my community with what I'm going to do this coming fall, which is no easy feat to be a 34-year-old man running for the chief of Sutina. It's not to do it in a political way. It's not to, you know, go do as uh, most people do, you know, shake hands, kiss babies, and be pretentious and fake. I'm going to be me, just like what I gave you guys, a piece of my heart. I'm going to show my community my heart, and I'm going to show them not only my intellect, but I'm going to show them the people like yourself and other people that want to see, you know, uh, the, the gap be bridged you know, bridging the gap between communities, I want to be able to show that, you know, this next generation and the generations after that can be innovative and do this, that it's not a popularity contest. My goal is not to become the chief of Sutina. My goal is to break the stigma that we face, the sickness we've created. And I just, you know, so boldly on, on this podcast to say, like, I'm going to smash through the stratosphere of this sickness and I'm going to do it in a way that's not arrogant. I'm going to do it in a way like my ancestors did, but also like what I've learned through people like you and other people around this world is that, hey, like we're, we're still humans, although we're special and having our own community, our own nation is super special and it's super amazing. We still want to work with the other communities around us and they should want to be able to come here too. They should be able to enjoy this too to feel the freedom of what they are. They, they are, they are humans like us. And that's a, that's what I got to keep doing is not letting anyone or anything or demoralizing character breakdowns of who I am from people who are so-called leaders or people who believe they're influential in our community. I have to smile and not let it break my heart because my heart is with Sutina. It's with its people, and it's people that will come one day. So anyone's opinion, anyone's you know view towards me or what I'm gonna do, I just don't care because it's you know in a way it's about them, and I love them, and I will continue to love them. But I want the people who aren't even here yet to feel the ripple effect that you know they're allowed to do this too. That they're allowed to be themselves and they should all be accepted. There should not be a divide in my community and other communities like yours and like this, you know, even so big to say country, there's such a divide and people don't want to identify with it. And I'm not strong enough to go reach out to the rest of Canada (laughs) or this province. But what I can do in my heart is reach out into my community and to my neighboring community of Calgary to hopefully help change a future that none of us deserve to have, which is what we're all facing today, a very big divide. Is there a willingness for, you You, you mentioned flash in the pan and kind of short-termism and like that short-term thinking. Is there a willingness you find in your generation to look at things on a much longer time scale versus often, which is the now, which you know you, you very accurately 
dome does the dopamine hit, but also what appears to be quick money now versus building, you know, nation and wealth building for later. Is there, because I think in our own society, we get frustrated. We have governments on four-year cycles that, you know, can never really have the time or, or the support to do the things on the long term that actually create change. It's all flash in the pan style, you know, campaign rhetoric. Do you find that there's an appetite amongst your population to look at things on a bit of a longer scale? Or are we just so addicted to seeing everything on the short term? There is in, there isn't. There, there's a, a lot of individuals in my generation and just a little bit older that have the same values as I do. However, their their fear of being alienated or being cast out supersedes the ability to see beyond ourselves. Okay. Um, I, I do, throughout each week, I talk to quite a few people that I grew up with and I, I just listen to them to hear their ideas and Sometimes, you know, some of them are ridiculous, but sometimes they're really, really beautiful. And I'm like, wow, you know, let's, let's try this. Well, I'm too afraid because my mom said, or my dad said, and I think you're like a, you're a 30 or a 40 year old person who cares, like say whatever they want, do what you want, you know, like you don't live with them and you're not their baby anymore, regardless if they're your parent, there is no, and unless we are literally a royal or we go back to the traditional ways where, you know, in Bullhead's time where we have a generational chief or generational leaders, there is no hierarchy set. Don't, don't, don't create that because your family or your parents had less and you're doing well. So now your family's pulling you down. So you're afraid, you're, you're, you're very afraid to want to even try. You're afraid because mom or dad or granny or grandpa or auntie or uncle is saying nope you can't do that because when we did it well you're not them and they probably failed because they didn't have the resources but you can do it so it was also a different time the world is like you you, you know yeah. you study the past to make sure you don't make the same mistake but we're not 20 years ago we're not 10 years ago we're not five years ago it's different <laughs> no there's, yeah, a, there's an opportunity. I hear what you say loud and clear. There's an opportunity to capitalize on culture moves in different waves. And when you can ride or catch on something that's already happening, the opportunity to do things that just, you know, I've talked to some very successful people on the show and a lot of them will be like, I'll be honest, I worked really hard, but my timing was really good. I just, my idea landed at the right time when things were kind of taking off. So I'll take credit, but I was also just fortunate that the world, and I do appreciate when, when they don't just, oh, it was all me and I was awesome and I made it happen. They're like, no, there was, there was a trend or there was a movement happening culturally. And I just had the right company with the right idea at the right time. And boom, I got this huge success. There is a lot yeah, of that to be going on. I'm hearing you saying that this is an opportunity. We're now in a time that we can capitalize on that. Yeah. And that's where I'm at too, right? Like, like you said, at 34 years old, I'll be running for chief. When me and my dad had the conversation, I'll, I'll be honest with you. That was, that was not pleasant, but in my mind, I was like, no, th this is what is needed because as soon as COVID-19 hit, um, I was, able to see something I, I had never seen before. And that was everything I spoke on in my presentation, everything I've spoken on here, which is a massive divide. And I thought this was wrong. And what am I going to do? Just sit here and pretend this is okay. So, you know, like, like, like this journey over the last year and a half, well, two years now has been, um, my biggest challenge has been, one of the things that I've always dreamt of was knowing that my home, Sutina, my people will, will always 
thrive in themselves. And what I mean by that is through love, there's collectiveness. You don't need money through love. You, you have the ability to take care of one another because that's your home. That's your nation, right? We're not, we're not like the rest of Canada. We're, we're Sutina. That's our home. And we can create within that and do something with that. That doesn't mean we're going to be financially the greatest, but what it means is that we have each other and we can learn through, you know, things like farming, things like logging, things that are really simplistic to just keep ourselves afloat. Um, and that's, that's the most important thing to me is that within my community is knowing that they have a future and being vulnerable with you before I close my time and to your viewers, whatever you do in life, no matter what people say about you, whether it's being racist because of your skin color and everyone faces racism. I, I really despise when people say, oh, it's just my people that do. No, everyone does. If racism exists, for one, it exists for everyone. It exists for everyone and everyone will face that and everyone will face um, big challenges. But when it's your own people that treat you like the outside world and we spoke on, you know, the my industry that I currently work in, which does still have a few bad apples. Um, and I still get those phone calls and I still get my character ripped down. I still face that in my own community because I want to promote change. And it's not even a drastic, like, <laughs> insane change. It's literally giving the reins to people that deserve it. People that are innovative, people that are intelligent, people that have the ability to lead us in a direction that will benefit our people. So to everyone listening, just know two years and two years of going through this has been the biggest challenge in my life, but it's one that I would welcome and relive and never change because I love Sutina and I love its people and I care about them more than anything in this lifetime. And hopefully you, whatever you do in your life, whether it's economics, whether it's starting a business, whether it's writing a book, whether it's being a humanitarian, whatever it may be, just don't give up, especially if you love it. And you may lose people around you. You may be alienated. You may face scrutiny. You may have nothing left. But as long as you love it, and you love it the way I love Sutina, I promise you that it's it's worth it. It's worth all the blood, the sweat, the tears. It's worth it because you love it. And love is something that is worth more than any amount of money in my mind. And I really love Sutuna. Like I I live and breathe it every day. Zachary, I appreciate one, your honesty, your vulnerability, and I appreciate giving us a perspective as, as my audience, I say us, as, as, as a very Calgary business-based audience of understanding a neighbor that sits just to the west of us and the opportunities that exist when there are different ideas and different opportunities to live a different future than the storyline that was the past. We can't argue with it, but we can certainly move forward. And I, and that's, that's where I like to live. I'm like, yeah, yeah, the past is great, but what are we going to do tomorrow? You gave me a lot of optimism just from your own journey. And when I met you, I felt the same way the passion and the willingness to be a warrior, which, you know, in this case certainly feels like stepping into an area that might not, 
not, not everyone might be a fan of, but that's okay because you're doing it for the reasons that you are, which is the love for your people. And it's a love is a word I don't hear a lot in business. And I'd like to hear a little bit more of it. I can't tell you how good I'm feeling right now, just by hearing your passion and your willingness. Sometimes as a leader, it's perceived almost as weakness to put that out there, to be that vulnerable. But yeah, that's exactly what people want. So anyways, kudos to you. I, I, on that. I know uh, our time is short here today. And Zachary, I really enjoyed having you on. If there's one thing you would like to leave people with, uh, people being my audience of a way to learn more and to find out more about your nation, what's the best way for them to connect? Does it come to an event? Does it go to a website? Does it call you up? What's the best path? <clears throat> um, well, I recommend that anybody, if you want to learn more about Sutina, you can come to an event. You can definitely reach out to groups. If you want to you know, go for economic uh, economic base things go to the Sutton Enterprises. They are phenomenal. Like that is a really, really great place to start. Uh, the Taza development teams, which they have the three phases that they're working on, that's going to be a, a, a big benefit to Southwest Calgary. And it's going to be a big benefit to our community. But I would say to both of our communities, you know, from a business perspective, those are the places you'd want to visit. And if you want to learn more about the culture, I personally recommend that you learn through business first because if you learn through the intellect of others and know that there's people that are not just the stereotypical Indian, <laughs> that, that you're able to see that, wow, these people are very innovative and they, they are intelligent and they are using foresight. They're, they're caring. They care far beyond right now. Let's, let's see if we can work with them. And that's what I recommend because that's what this audience is. This audience is business-based and, you know, don't, don't necessarily go for the cultural aspect. Go through what you guys know best, which is business, and that will open the door to cultural innovation. And that's something that through business I learned was the emotional equity we can give each other is worth more than just financial equity. And I know financial equity is something we all need, but if you can create emotional equity before financial equity, let me tell you, it 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 changes everything in business. And that's what we did it with my company, which I'll speak on now, which is Sarsi Gravel. And it's something that our little company is really special, is because we use emotional equity to create a better business. Okay, well, I feel like that's a whole nother episode. So I'm going to put a pin in it right there. Zachary, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. It has been an absolute pleasure. I've got to, you know, have a conversation or meet you twice now. And I, I see I see maybe a third or fourth date down, down, down the road. So thank, th thank you, sir, for taking the time and for your honesty. And I really enjoyed my conversation today. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day, Tyler.